Anybody can sing on the mountaintop. It's in the valleys where God really delights to hear us sing. By the way, nothing grows on the mountaintop. Right? It all grows in the valleys. Valleys of life are like that. By the way, I'm not preaching on valleys today. I guess I could, amen. But uh, valleys just uh, one point between two mountaintops. Think about it, amen. And uh, praise the Lord. I love that song. It's a good song, encouraging song. Plan on singing tonight, preaching tonight, and uh, um, sing a couple songs tonight and uh, uh, preach on a sober subject. It'll go right along with our message today <clears throat> that we're preaching on. And I want to say how good it is to see everybody. And um, just uh, I, I mentioned in the 815 service, I love your preacher. I love your pastor. And a good spot for an amen right there. Amen. And I uh, really do, and, and so many of you that we love, and, and we're so privileged to serve with here, and I, I just say this, you know, after 11 years, I, I've been gone 11 years, I came here 14 years ago, it was just Carrie and I, and then when we left, we had Eric and Luke, and uh, many of you remember Luke was just born, <clears throat> Eric is uh, 12 now, and Luke's, Luke will be 11 uh, next month, Eric is, Eric comes up to about here. And uh, he's wearing my shoes, Brother Bunch. He's wearing my size 12 shoes at 12 years old. And I mentioned this on Wednesday night. I said, hey, kid, after this, you're on your own. Mow lawns. Get a job because I'm not buying you size 14 shoes. Amen. Get them yourself. Brother Ron, good to see you back there, man. Uh, I was mentioning uh, when Brother Rome was here and uh, we used to sing Brother Ron and, <clears throat> and I and Brother Rome we would sing in a trio, and they called it the Howling Dog Trio, amen? And uh, we had so much fun serving the Lord. And by the way, serving the Lord doesn't have to be a drudgery. Oh, I just got to serve the Lord. I found that serving the Lord's awesome. Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly, amen? And so praise the Lord. <clears throat> December 7th, 1941 is a date which shall live in infamy. Many of you remember that day. I have it in your bulletin there, the whole quote from Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I want us to go to our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4. Once you think about that quote, it, it really gives us the introduction for our message today. And if you're physically able, if you would stand with me as we read Acts chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 1 through 31, and then we're going to read one verse in Hebrews chapter 4. And I want to preach to you a message this morning. I hope that will be a blessing. I hope that will be a challenge. I hope that will not come off as prideful or antagonistic at all, because I promise you it is not. But the title of the message is Answering to a Higher Authority. Answering to a Higher Authority. Would you look at Acts chapter 4 with me. If you don't have a Bible, look on with your neighbor there if you would. And we've got quite a few verses to read here, so I'm going to try to read them quickly, and then we'll get into our message. It says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold, unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Mention this in the 815 hour, but anytime you see that term, number of men, 5,000, you could almost double it or triple it, Brother McGee, because of men and children. Somebody said when Jesus fed the 5,000 men, there could have been twenty to 25,000 people that he fed with those five loaves. And two fishes. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and their and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as were as many as the of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. <clears throat> and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, 
that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them, is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people, for all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above forty years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported to all, the, the chief, all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagined vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against the, thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Please go over to Hebrews chapter 4, just one verse. Thank you for standing so long. I know it's a long reading this morning. Such a great passage of Scripture. And We'll be talking about it quite a bit this morning here. Hebrews chapter 4, great chapter of the Word of God. We know verse 12. Uh, we mentioned verse 12 on Wednesday night, and we talked about the heart. We start with the heart. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it tells us that it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But the next verse is our focus, going along with what we've already read. It says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. So what does that mean? That means God sees it all. He sees it all. It says, but all things are naked and open. And here's where I want you to, to zone in with me here, church. Naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for the privilege to preach the word of God. Thank you, Lord, as Brother McGee said, I, I believe... Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can guarantee it because where Christians are, you are. You said where two or three are gathered in, in my name, there am I in the midst. And Lord, we ask that you'd move freely through these pews, Holy Spirit. That you take this one message and make it for many hearts today. Lord, give us resolve. Give us spiritual grit. 
to stand for you. <clears throat> we love you and thank you for all that you give in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing so long. You may be seated. Thank you again. We mentioned, I have a playlist on my phone of famous speeches. Lots of famous speeches. I have one of my favorite ones, uh, Brother McGee, is Duty, Honor, and Country. John, or, uh, Douglas MacArthur, just, just a great speech. And, and uh, one of them I have on there, of course, is Franklin Delano Roosevelt when he said, and you can hear him saying it, December 7th, 1941, a date which shall live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. You know, ladies and gentlemen, those of us that are now three generations past that, I, I think in our church, I think we have one World War II veteran left. He's 94. You say, why is that? Because World War II ended in 1945. That's 75 years ago. So that means he went in when he was 19, 94 years old. They're passing off the scene. Some of us remember when I was young that there was very few World War I veterans left. Amen? But that day, that day, that event changed the world. Quite literally, one of the few events we could say in the history of mankind that absolutely changed the entire world. And you know what happened on this... After uh, the president gave his speech December 8th, December 9th, millions of young men stood outside of recruiting offices to enlist. Millions. One of them in particular enlisted a little bit later. He enlisted on April 1st, 1942 in Lynchburg, Virginia. He was a Seventh-day Adventist. And he had beliefs about the Bible that were unusual. And yet, they were his beliefs guaranteed to him by the Constitution of the United States of America. You know, we do believe in the freedom of religion. Now listen, I'm an independent Baptist. I believe you need to be saved through Jesus Christ. That doesn't give me the right to tell somebody else how to worship. Come on, church. He was a... Seventh-day Adventist, and uh, he was a conscientious objector. He, he believed the teachings of the Word of God, and particularly the Ten Commandments, and he believed that thou shall not kill meant everything across the board. He was a vegetarian. He All the way, all the way down. Now, again, as an independent Baptist, I believe we, we have different views about war, and, and I understand that, but again, I respect Somebody that has view and says, I'm not going to... He was what the, the military calls a conscientious objector. And he had said when he was uh, at the recruiting station, he had told them all this and he had said, I, I want to be a medic. I want to help people. I want to save life during war. He was supposed to be sent to a medical detachment, but because of a clerical error, he was sent to the 77th Division. And this young man, as he was there... And, he, again, these were serious beliefs that he had. He would not even touch a weapon. Not just thou shalt not kill. He wouldn't even touch a weapon. And uh, for that, he took a lot of abuse. And he, as many a young private did, he went and sought out the chaplain. And this chaplain, Chaplain Carl Stanley, listened to him, and he took it up to the divisional command and divisional superiors and said that this young man was a legitimate, conscientious objector and entitled by law to be sent to the medical division. And so he was, but still suffered abuse at the hands of his comrades, was referred to as a holy Joe. As he would read his Bible and pray at his bunk, he would have uh, uh, boots thrown at him, be cursed, Partially, another reason that he was was because uh, he believed in, in Sabbath keeping. And he wanted Saturday off, whereas most of the men had Sunday off. And, and uh, the men began to think, well, you're getting all these special privileges. And how come you get them? And how come we don't? And, and it created some, some difficulty for him. But you know what? He didn't change. He didn't compromise. Let me read you his 
citation in a moment. He, the war would take the 77th Division to Guam and Lady, and this man's exploits became the thing of legend because everybody else was fighting the Japanese with grenades, rifles, machine guns, and he was going into the very same areas without anything. Nothing. Let me read you his citation. Near Oroso Mura, Okinawa, Ryukyu Islands, April 29 to May 21, 1945. Private First Class Desmond Doss. He was a company aid man when the 1st Battalion assaulted a jagged ridge escarpment 400 feet high. As troops gained the summit, a heavy concentration of artillery, mortar, and machine gun fire crashed into them, inflicting approximately 75 casualties and driving others back down the escarpment. Private First Class Doss refused to seek cover and remained in the fire-swept area with the many stricken, carrying them one by one to the edge of the escarpment and there lowering them on a rope-supported litter down the face of the cliff to friendly hands. Seventy-five men. Some of you know the story of the story of Hacksaw Ridge. On May 2nd, he exposed himself to heavy rifle and mortar fire in rescuing a wounded man 200 yards forward of the lines on the, on the same escarpment. And two days later, he treated four men who had been cut down while assaulting a strongly defended cave, advancing through a shower of grenades to within eight yards of enemy forces in the cave's mouth where he dressed his comrade's wounds before making four separate trips under fire to evacuate them to safety. On May 5th, he unhesitatingly braved enemy shelling and small arms fire to assist an artillery officer. He applied bandages, moved his patient to a spot that offered protection from small arms fire, and while artillery and mortar shells fell close by, painstakingly administered plasma. Later that day, when an American was severely wounded by fire from a cave, Private First Class Doss crawled to him where he had fallen 25 feet from the enemy position. 25 feet from the enemy position. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. That's from me to Brother McGee. Enemy position. 25 feet from the enemy position. Rendered aid and carried him 100 yards to safety while continually exposed to enemy fire. On May 21st, in a night attack while on ground near Shuri, he remained in exposed territory while the rest of the company took cover, fearlessly risking the chance that he would be mistaken for an infiltrating Japanese and giving aid to the injured until he himself was seriously wounded in the legs by an explosion of a grenade. Rather than call another aid man from cover, he cared for his own injuries and waited five hours before stretcher bearers reached him, started carrying him to cover. The trio was caught in an enemy tank attack, and Private First Class Doss, seeing a more critically wounded man nearby, crawled off the stretcher and directed the bearers to give their first attention to another man. Awaiting the stretcher bearer's return, he was again struck, this time suffering a compound fracture of one arm. With magnificent fortitude, he bound a rifle stock, first time he touched a weapon. He bound a rifle stock, <laughs> why? To his shattered arm and made a splint out of it. Still a medic, still saving lives. and then crawled 300 yards with a broken arm and legs full of shrapnel. Through his outstanding bravery and unflinching determination in the face of desperately dangerous conditions, Private First Class Doss saved the lives of many soldiers. His name became a symbol 
through the 77th Infantry Division of outstanding gallantry far above and beyond the call of duty. On October 12, 1945, President Harry Truman, in the graphic you see behind me, presented Desmond Doss with the Congressional Medal of Honor. In, eight, in 1962, the 100th anniversary of the Medal of Honor, the Living Medal of Honor recipients selected one man to represent them. Now listen, you want to talk about the who's who. Many of us have met Gary Bikirk in this room. What a self-effacing, humble man. Many of those men are just like that. They always say, oh, the real heroes are the ones that never came home. But when they had to select one person to represent them, they selected Desmond Doss. Why? Why? With grenades blasting, with bullets flying by, with artillery shells blowing up all around him. Why would he still refuse to touch a weapon? Because Desmond Doss believed that he answered to a higher authority. I want you to look at Acts chapter 3 and 4 here, and I'm going to give you the the P's, if you have an outline there, I, I've got all P's there. Pastor, let me put together this in the bulletin here. And, and uh, a, a short message, the context is very, very important. And uh, that's, of course, where we read. But in, in uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we have the promise of faith. So what happens here is that in chapter 2, we have the great moving of the Holy Spirit and we have the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people get saved and baptized. And, and then uh, as Peter and John are, are moving to the, to the temple to pray, there's a man, a, a lame man, and he's, he, listen, the only thing a lame man could do back in Bible days, shouldn't say the only thing, but most of the times they had to beg for, for money. They had to beg for food. They just they couldn't do the things that other people could do. And so here's this lame man, and Peter and, and uh, John walk by, and, and he fastens his eyes on them. And you know how it is if you've ever, you know, you've ever helped somebody with a little bit of money. We have, of course, uh, sign holders in our town, you know, I'm out of work or homeless or whatever. If they can catch your eyes, Brother Lucio, they can look in the eye, and you can get lock eyes with them. They hope to receive something, and that's exactly what happened here. He, he fastened his eyes on them, hoping to receive something, and Peter said to him, he said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You folks remember that Jesus had given to his disciples power to heal and power to cast out evil spirits. It was an authentic authentication of their ministry. The fact that they truly represented Jesus. They weren't, they weren't false apostles. Amen. And so what happened? That man who was lame heard about the promise of faith. He said, if you'll just trust in Jesus, you can rise up and walk. Well, then we see the power of faith, verses 7 through 11. What happened? That man who was lame got up. And as I did at my church, I, I preached this a little while back. The Bible says he was walking and leaping and praising God. And I bet the stoic church members had a problem. They might even gone to James, the pastor of the first church of Jerusalem, and said, did you see what that man did in church? He, he leaped. He was, he was praising God in church. Don't be a curmudgeon. Somebody says amen doesn't mean you have to. Huh? Just, it's okay if people say glory to God. We used to have a dear lady in our church, and she'd raise her hands, just, just praising the Lord. You know, sometimes she'd raise one, and I was the kid with her. She'd raise one. I said, sister, it's right out there. Just take a left out here, and then it's, it's right over there. You're looking for it. Amen. Oh, she's just praising the Lord, lifting holy hands, just giving glory to God. Amen. So just imagine we have the, the promise of faith and the power of faith, and I love Peter takes the opportunity for the preaching of faith. 
verses 12 through 26. I said in the morning service, if you'll read through the sermons in the books of, book of Acts, they always focus on the crucifixion and the resurrection. Preaching. Preaches, amen. Peter's preaching of faith. But then where we started our reading, if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, as soon as you have the promise of faith and the power of faith and the preaching of faith, you have the persecution of faith. Look what it says there. And as they spake unto the people, the priests, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Why would the Sadducees be upset about that? They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And there it was right in front of them. Resurrection power, amen. And they laid hands on them. You know what that means? They grabbed them. They put them in ward. They put them in prison for the night. And then had a huddle. Amen? <laughs> Persecution of faith. Then I love from verses 8 to 12, Peter again with the proclamation of faith. He says, hey, if you're wanting to know how that man was healed, let me tell you how he was healed. He was healed by Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And then he says this, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved companion to what Jesus said when he said I am the way, the truth, and the life no man cometh unto the Father but by me Jesus is the way to heaven Amen and he was the reason that that lame man or that formerly lame man uh, Brother Adam was standing there like this big smile on his face to all those high pollutant religious crowd probably still doing this Everything's going my way, amen. Hey, I would have been. <laughs> After all those years, it says he was above 40 years old. He'd been there a while. Proclamation of faith. Then verse 13 through 17, the problem of faith. Say, what's the problem? Well, not for you and I, not for people that love the Lord. Faith was a problem for that religious crowd. Look what it says in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Can I just pause for a second? You know what your coworker needs? He needs to take knowledge that you've been with Jesus. You know what your neighbor needs? They need to take knowledge that you've been with you. You know what your lost loved one that you've tried to witness to, and they put you off and put you off and put you off and put you off? They need to take knowledge that you've been with Jesus. Why? Because it creates boldness. When we've been with Jesus, said so they took knowledge of them. And then look what it says. And here's the, here's the problem of faith, right? And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. <laughs> they could say nothing. Why? But when, verse 15, but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. I mean, there he is over there. Can't say anything. That's, we know that was the guy. He wasn't faking it. We know him. Can't deny it. Verse 17, and here it is, folks. But that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. Then we have the prohibition of faith in verse 18. Prohibition. What's a prohibition? Cease and desist. Stop doing that. Verse 18. And they called them and commanded them. This wasn't an option. It wasn't a liberty issue. 
wasn't freedom for you to live how you think you should and I'll live how I think I should. It was a command not to speak at all or teach in the name of who? Jesus. That brings us to the principle of faith, which is the, the thrust of the remaining moments of my message. It says in verse 19 and 20, Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. As a rhetorical statement, they said, if you are asking us whether we should obey God or you, think about it. And by the way, Peter would clear it up in the next chapter. Chapter 5, verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. But he says this, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. As Christians, we believe in being good citizens. Amen. I know, listen, I know we're in Connecticut, okay? We believe what Jesus said about render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render unto God the things that are God. What does that mean? Pay your taxes. No amens there. God bless you. I don't blame you. I, I probably wouldn't amen either, okay? But it is true. Jesus did say it, Okay? We're supposed to be good citizens. If anybody ought to be a good citizen, it's a Christian. Okay? Listen, you read Romans chapter 13 about the higher powers, about obeying them to have the rule over you. Uh, listen, you, you, you want to you see the, the idea of, of uh, the, those verses? Okay? You're, you're driving in a 35-mile-an-hour zone, and you're doing 30 miles an hour. You're not a bit worried. There you are driving along, Okay? You're driving in a 35-mile-an-hour zone, and you are doing 50 miles an hour, and you pass one of our beautiful state trooper cars. And you look in your mirror, and all of a sudden, the lights go on, and you go, you look at your speedometer and go, oh. Read Romans chapter 7. Rulers are not a terror unto good works. Right? Hey, I'm, do, I'm, I'm obeying the law. I don't have anything to, nothing to fear. That's fine. You ought to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, 19. Honor the king. Honor, uh, you know, honor all men. Submit yourself to every ordinance. Amen, amen, amen. We believe that as Christians, as believers. We do. But what does a believer do? What does a pastor do? What does a believer do when any human authority demands that we do or not do, in this case, something which violates our biblical beliefs? I tell you what we do. We say, no, sir. We refuse to comply with their command. Why? Because we answer to a higher authority. We answer to a higher authority. One day, you and I, and Lord willing, I'm going to preach on the judgment seat of Christ tonight. I hope you'll come back. Powerful message on the judgment seat of Christ. One day, you and I, our lives are going to end, and we are going to stand before Him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4.13, we read. And, well, you know, I was afraid of the government official who said, don't sing in Jesus' name, is not going to cut the mustard. So we have friends in California right now. Friends in California who have been told, you cannot sing in church. I didn't say North Korea. I didn't say Vladivostok, Russia. Not Iraq. 
California, or as it should be called, the People's Democratic Republic of California. And by the way, it's spreading. So what do we do? We say we answer to a higher authority. You want me to give you a biblical example? I'm glad you asked. Back in the book of Daniel, chapter number 3. Nebuchadnezzar made a giant golden image. An idol is what it was. An idol. He had a dream. Daniel interpreted his dream. And what's he do? Totally messes the whole thing up, Pastor, and makes an idol out of it. And he says, hey, we're going to have the band uh, play. And when the band plays, everybody in all the provinces is going to bow down and worship that golden image. See, the problem was there were some Jewish boys there that he had taken captive. And I believe, if you know your commandments, that we are not to make any graven images nor bow ourselves down to them. Right at the beginning of the big list we call the Ten Commandments. And so here, everybody else with no conviction and no compunction who thought their rights came from government and not from God, Bowed down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were the real names, standing there like this. They might, listen, did you, ever, did you ever stub your toe? Did you ever stub your toe? I, I never forget, I stubbed my toe here one time. It was a hilarious story. My wife, like, literally, like, three days before, stubbed her toe. And uh, I'm so compassionate. You know, I've been married almost 25 years. You know, I'm just full of compassion. She stubbed her toe. I said, who does that? <laughs> Stubs your toe. So I'm out, there, I'm out there walking with no shoes on in between. Well, that was the problem. I was walking with no shoes on in the grass over here. And, then, you know, I got that lifted uh, sidewalk there. And there I go, boom. Oh, I said, oh, 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 oh. I go up. My wife's like, what happened? What happened? I said, I stubbed my toe. She said, who does that? Amen. I said, Oh, my goodness. You know, I think Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego stuck out, stuck out like three big stub toes. And the king brought them forward. They said, oh, king, these Jews that you brought, they won't bow down like everybody else is. He brought them before him. He said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is this true? He said, king... We're not careful to answer thee in this matter. He said, no, we're not going to bow down. He said, I'm going to give you one more chance. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stoke that furnace seven times hotter. You either bow or burn. And you know what they said? You got to read it for yourself. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. O king, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us out of thy hand. They said, hey, even if we go in and burn up, we'll be done. We're, they said, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not bow down to the graven image that thou hast set up. He got so mad, he had them thrown in there, lost some of his best soldiers throwing them in. And the Bible says that he looked in there and said, called one of his aides over, he says, didn't we cast three into that fiery furnace? He said, yes, king. He said, I see four. And the fourth is like the Son of God. The fourth is like the Son of God. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. You know what they said? Kindly. Brother McGee, I believe they were respectful to Nebuchadnezzar. I don't believe they were high-hatted, not proud. They just said, we can't do that. You know what, church? I know this man. My dear friend, he's going to have church. He's going to have church. If they say you can't have church, he's going to have church. You know what he needs? He needs this crowd right here to say, yes, sir, we're with you, pastor. To say, no, sir. By the way, it's amazing. I, I get off on this, and, and uh, I don't want to split the church, pastor, I promise. Amen. Listen, 
If somebody comes in wearing a mask, that's fine. If somebody doesn't wear a mask, that's fine. We don't look down on the person who wears the mask, and don't you dare look down on the person who doesn't wear the mask. It's okay. We've got folks in our church that come, and they're masked up, and that's okay. Listen, we say it's respected but not required. You want to wear it? That's fine. That is not something to split over. Not being able to sing in church and not being able to come to church and not being able to witness, that's something to split over. The problem is so many Christians haven't witnessed in so long, they don't really care one way or another. They're more upset about masks than they are not being able to witness. Yep, I'm winning friends and influencing people this morning, I can tell, amen. Forgot my Carnegie book this morning, hallelujah. Let me give you three quick points. Let me give you three quick points. We answer to a higher authority, number one, concerning our word. This book is our authority. One day we are going to be judged. And the Bible says, in, uh, it talks about it in uh, 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 Revelation chapter 20 for the lost, that the books will be open. Brother McGee, I think at the judgment seat of Christ, the book is going to be open. This book right here, the Bible. When God said, uh, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, I think we're going to be judged by that promise. I think he's going to say to us, did you do that? Why did you do that? Did you not do that? Amen. Listen, when it comes to this book, listen to me, the government doesn't get to tell us what to believe about this book. They do not get to tell us what to believe. This is our book, amen. The Word, our book. Thank God for it. The Bible says about this book, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Listen, this book right here that we hold in our hands, we believe, I know pastor does, I know I do, we believe it's pure, it's perfect, it's preserved, and it's profitable and it's none of the government's business what we believe about it. They can't tell me not to read it. They can't tell me not to proclaim it's truth. They can't tell me that. If they do, I'm going to keep doing it. Again, I'm, I hope I'm not being unkind. I hope I'm not being proud. I want to be resolute. Steadfast is the Bible word. Say, listen, we can't can't compromise on that. Sorry. You're, forgive me, you're over your pay grade, Governor. You're over your pay grade, Senator. If the President came out and said that, you're over your pay grade. We answer to a higher authority. So the word. Secondly, we answer to a higher authority concerning the wisdom or the word in our book or the wisdom and our beliefs. Luke chapter 1, verse 1 starts off with a just great verse. It says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most assuredly believed among us. Our beliefs, we answer to a higher authority. We, listen, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We believe that He was virgin born. You know how important that is? So important that if he wasn't, you and I are just wasting our time. Because he was born without a sin nature. We believe that Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life. Never sinned one time in thought or deed. And we believe of his own volition, he went to an old rugged cross, was scourged, was nailed to a cross, shed his blood in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 3.18, Jesus Christ died the just for the unjust. We believe that. We believe three days later he rose from the dead. We believe he's coming back for his children and then with his children. Listen to me. The government comes and says, you can't believe that. Sorry, I believe it. Those are my beliefs. By the way, it's out of that book you get beliefs about all kinds of things. It's out of that book. You, you, if you start with the first verse of that book, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. 
I get, I get my view of the world. I get my, I get my view. Listen, I get my view about husbands and wives. Husbands and wives. Husbands and wives. Out of that book. Government says you can't believe that. Sorry. Government says, hey, you, you'll marry who we say and, 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 and you, you'll perform weddings for who we say. Sorry. Can't do that. My beliefs are founded in this book and I answer to a higher authority. You got authority, absolutely. We, we live in a republic. By the way, you don't like the government you have? Get out and vote. Start, start beating doors, amen? Just, you know, that, that's the, the ballot box is a beautiful thing, amen? But when it comes to beliefs, when it comes to our wisdom, when it comes to the things that are most surely believed, we answer to a higher authority. Lastly, this morning, we answer to a higher authority concerning our word, the book, concerning our wisdom, our beliefs, and concerning our walk, our behavior. Listen, government doesn't get to tell me I can't praise the Lord. Government doesn't get to tell me that I can't witness. The government doesn't get to tell me that I can't uh, proclaim His name. The government doesn't tell, listen to me, the government doesn't get to tell me I can't gather with God's people. I'll, tell, I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll let you in a pastor's heart. Well, I'll tell you. When, when everything started going in March and April, late, late March, early April, as a pastor, pastor, it was tough reading Hebrews 10.25 and closing the door. But I'll tell you this, we had incomplete information. We didn't know how deadly things were. I had a lot of seniors in my congregation, and the last thing I ever wanted to be was be responsible for their death through neglect through haphazardness. So, we uh, pre-recorded our services on Facebook. We record them on Saturday, my staff and I, and do some special music. And, uh, we have a you know good service, and I, we had people right away said, "Pastor, thank you for you know doing that." It's like it's like we're in church. I know we're not right now. Be, be patient, you know. Please, if you can get on Facebook, we're like, hey, well, Brother McGee will take any kind of gathering we can at that point, right? And we began to open up. We had drive-in service. That was great. We had, we, we had nutcases at our drive-in service. There are members. They're nutcases. You have to actually be a nutcase to be a member of Loomis Park Baptist Church because the pastor is a nutcase. So there, amen. And we had, we had a nutcase show up. At, we, we said, okay, we're going to social distance in the parking lot. We got a pretty good-sized parking lot, amen. And so we said, we want to keep one space away from everybody. Just every, keep your windows up and all that. These people showed up with pool noodles hanging off their vehicle so that they were social distance. It's even nutcases, amen? But we had fun. We really did. We're in there. And we, we're, we're doing the same thing. We're pre-recording the services, and we're just piping it through our PA, and it's going out on 90.3. And, and uh, uh, you know, it'd be a point, Brother McGee, I'd say, say amen, and people would be out in the parking lot and go, burp, 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 you know, <laughs> beeping their horns, amen. That's <laughs> great. Then we started to <clears throat> open up, and uh, we said, you know, look, look, let's just keep our distance. And uh, listen, some, some folks are just not keep their distance people, amen. Like, okay, sideways hug, amen, sideways hug, elbow bump, amen. And we did what you, you know, you got through pews, you know, kind of staggered, and we, we did that, and we, we took out the hymnals for a little while, Pastor Lawrence and the hymnals, and just having the, you know, up on the screen. And, <clears throat> and then... You know, forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, but the data began to come in. You know, we say we're science, okay. Well, I think it's 99.964 survival rate. That's better than a lightning strike. Okay, it really is if you think. Now, listen, do we still do some things? Listen, we don't have a water cooler anymore. We don't pass offering plates like you did. We, we, got, a, we got a bucket. People drop it in. I love it. I mentioned it over the week. Our, our bucket we got at Lowe's, and it says, do it right. I love that. When it comes to the offering, bless God, Brother Bob, we want to do it right. Amen. 
and we've made, listen, we've made some changes. We don't have a handshaking time right now. Okay, sure. But pastor, it's God is my witness. Never again will I close the doors. I'll keep them open. And if people want to come, they can come. And if they don't want to, they don't want to. But bless God, the government does not get to tell me whether I can gather with God's people or not. Not forsaking. How about the verse before? Let us consider one another. You know what? You know what? When we, when we finally came back to church, Miss Betty, and had church, uh, people were in, in just, you could tell they're welled up. They said, I, I'm so glad to be back in church to see my brothers and sisters. Yes, you know, we did what we could in the parking lot, through the windows, you know, the drive-in service and all that. Yeah, absolutely. And my people know me. They know I did what I could. Tried to walk the line. Listen, we answer to a higher authority, ladies and gentlemen, concerning our behavior, our walk. Now, by the way, that's not just for pastors. One day, we're going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ tonight. Every one of us is going to stand before God for our behavior, for our walk. 1 John 2, 6 says, as he, as he is, so are we in this world. As he walks, so should we walk. Walk rooted in Christ, according to Colossians. Walk in him. Make Jesus Christ the center of your affections, and you'll have a fruitful and faithful walk. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, one day we're going to stand before God. We answer to a higher authority. Again, not, not to be difficult, not at all. But we know this, the world is drifting further and further from the mores and morals of that book. And as it does, we look more and more out of place. I've said at our church, Pastor, same thing here. Our church, our pulpit is right in the center of the auditorium. And for the, the 52 years from that pulpit, the Bible has been preached out in the center of the auditorium. Do you know I preach the same things that pastors before me preached? And pastors before me preached in the 60s and 70s, and those things were so well received. Now... Society has moved so far left that that seems like it's far right, but you know what it is? It's right in the center where it's always been. We answer to a higher authority.